we're looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Uh, if when you turn there, you want to stand out of respect and reverence for the Word of God, and we will commence with, with reading the Word of God with reverence, with joy, because this is the Word of our God. These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so we should hear these words now as if the risen Lord Jesus was standing right here on the stage speaking them to us. These words come to us with the very same authority, the very same weight. So let's listen with reverence and joy to the word of our God. It's the Holy Spirit inspired it through the writing of Mark in Mark six thirty through 44. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are our good and great shepherd. Pray that you would come and be our guide this morning by the presence of the Holy Spirit as we seek to understand and apply your word. I confess that. Whatever words I declare here this morning are hay and stubble next to the treasure of this text. And yet, as you did in this text, we ask that you would take my insufficient provisions and turn them into a feast so that your people might be nourished and sustained here this morning. 
We ask for the sake of your name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, our text last week began with a, a, a burning question that we didn't find answered. And here's what that question was. It was, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? As news of him spread throughout Israel, there was, there was much confusion about him and about his identity. You know, is he a, a prophet? Is he, is he Elijah? Is he, are, are he and John the Baptist one and the same? Who, who is this Jesus? And Mark just kind of left the question hanging in the air for a moment while he told us about the fate of Jesus' cousin and forerunner, John. But, but now that we know what has happened to John, Mark, Mark seems to take up this question again and to answer this burning question for us, who is this Jesus? And the answer that he provides is that Jesus is the compassionate shepherd of his people. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd of his people. You know, shepherd was a very common image or depiction of leaders in Israel throughout the scriptures. God himself is often depicted as the ultimate shepherd of his people. You think of the text we just read earlier, Psalm 95. You can also think of Psalm 100 or especially Psalm 23 and and other texts. But then God also deigned to shepherd his people through the leaders that he supplied for his people in Israel. And they were often viewed as shepherds or under-shepherds of the people of God. And so throughout the Old Testament... Leaders amongst God's people, kings, prophets, priests, teachers were often depicted as shepherds and God's people were therefore often depicted as sheep that needed shepherding. And then part of the tragedy of the story of Israel is that their shepherds were often corrupted and uncaring and self-serving. And this was certainly the case in, in Jesus' day and in, in the day of his earthly ministry. I mean, just this last week, last Sunday, we saw just what kind of shepherd Herod was among the flock of God. And that story, that story is relevant as we seek to kind of consider our text this morning, because here Mark tells us about a banquet that Jesus hosted, and he puts it right up next to the banquet that Herod hosted, and if you look at these two banquets, they're almost like photo negative. It's almost like a photo negative of the banquet that we saw last week. You know, and 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 in many ways, this banquet hosted by Jesus is served is serving as a contrast to the banquet hosted by Herod in this previous passage. You know, there we saw a cold and callous host who is mostly concerned with uh, uh, about himself. But here in our text this morning, we have a compassionate and kind host whose concern is for his guests. There, we saw a a banquet whose guests are the elite and powerful of Israel. But but here, we see a banquet whose guests are typically excluded from such banquets. There, we saw a king who serves up the head of one of his citizens on a platter. But here, we see a king who provides for and ultimately offers himself to his guests. It is in many ways the photo negative of Herod's banquet. And in this, 
This particular story and, and miracle shows us, it shows us something so central and essential about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. You know, interestingly, this is the only miracle of Jesus, aside from his resurrection, of course, that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Each Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each with their own emphases and themes, saw it necessary to include this particular miracle of Jesus. They thought it that important. And of course, that shows us that, that the divine author of Scripture, God himself, saw fit to to underline, as it were, this particular event and this particular miracle to us in order to show us something essential and central about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And the the sort of emphasis that we find here in Mark's record of the event, this is kind of idea, his theme that he wants to explore for us, is that Christ is our compassionate shepherd who sees and feeds us. Christ is our compassionate shepherd who sees us and feeds us. And so we want to take that big idea and just explore it as we walk through the text, as we look at the shepherd who compassionately sees and the shepherd who compassionately feeds. First, we find that Christ is the shepherd who compassionately sees. And we find this right away as we enter into this text. If you look there, at verse, starting at verse 30, as the apostles return from their missions trip, And uh, we've been reminded over the last couple of weeks that Jesus sent the 12 out to preach and deliver and heal in Israel. And and we don't know how long their trip was exactly, but here we find their return. And upon their return, Jesus finds them tired. And yet, although they're tired, their return also finds them busy with more work, more activity, more need. In fact, verse 31 tells us that many... Upon their return, many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were so busy with the needs and suffering pressing in around them that they, they, they couldn't even stop for a moment to grab a bite to eat. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place for a while. And verse 32 says that they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So notice here how how Jesus sees the exhaustion of his disciples and he has compassion upon them in their exhaustion. So he invites them to to come away for a while and rest like a good shepherd who leads his sheep to lie down in green pastures as we see in Psalm 23-2. Jesus invites his disciples to come away and rest. Of course, this should not be surprising to us. The theme of God providing rest for his people is woven throughout the fabric of the Bible. And even as early as Genesis 1 and 2, we find that God wrote rest into the rhythm of creation. I'll never forget one time uh, when I was sitting in a room filled with exhausted and wearied pastors. And we were listening to a, a pastor by the name of Zach Eswine. And he was encouraging us to embrace our God-ordained limitations and to embrace our God-ordained rhythms of work and rest. And and he, he said to think about the design of the first week according to Genesis 1 and 2. Here's how it goes. It goes like this. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest, work, rest, 
rest. Rest. That's the God, that is the rhythm that God created for us to live in. In our, in our world of workaholism and constant connection, we would do well to embrace God's rhythms of work and rest. You know, even as we consider the, the urgency of the disciples' work, Remember here that the apostles were sent on this, this mission trip. We noted a couple of weeks ago that, that some of Jesus' instructions for them as they were sent communicated something of the urgency of their mission. There was great need there. There's great need here in this text. All of these people are pressing it around them that they couldn't even eat. Well, their needs were legitimate and urgent. There were lost pe- people who needed salvation. There were sick people who needed healed. There were demonized people who needed delivered. And yet, even though their work was urgent, Jesus calls them to come away and rest with him a while. Friend, your your work is important. What God has called you, our mission in the world is important. It is even urgent, but we won't be able to do anything for the long haul unless we embrace God's rhythms of work and rest. Jesus knew this. Not only because he and his divinity designed rhythms of rest in the beginning, he knew them by experience. We've already seen Jesus earlier in Mark's gospel embracing these rhythms of rest. He knew by experience what it was to be tired, what it was to be exhausted by your work. He knew what it was to be in need of rest. And so he sees his disciples and he looks upon them with compassion and he simply invites them to come away with him and to rest. Of course, We just read the story, so you know that the plan doesn't exactly work out. They got on the boat to travel over to a desolate place, it says. But verse 33 says that many of them saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so when they they come ashore, instead of coming to a lonely, desolate place, they're met by a huge crowd. And verse 44 says that, at least in the end there, that there were 5,000 men present. In Matthew's gospel, when he tells of this very same event in Matthew 14, 21, he provides the added detail that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So apparently there were women and children there too, in addition to the 5,000 men. Some scholars believe that this crowd could have been as large as 20,000 people. We don't know precisely how many people were there. We just know it was many. It was thousands. And so imagine for a moment just what Jesus saw when he came ashore. And he he came looking upon those rolling hills of green grass. This was in the springtime there. The rolling hills of green grass with those thousands flocking to him. The color of their clothes was most assuredly different shades and colors of of white set upon that green grass. Well, what, what would they have looked like to him? They would have looked like sheep, wouldn't they have? And if you would have squinted your eyes and and blurred your vision, you might not have even been able to tell the difference between this crowd and a flock of sheep. Verse 34 tells us that they were like sheep in more than just their appearance. It says that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. 
Friends, I almost tremble to talk about this because we are, we are treading on holy ground here. What we find in this verse is a, a window into the very heart of Christ for us. And what we find is beautiful. You've been reading this last week, Gentle and Lowly, and you're community groups, exploring this theme of the, the heart of Christ. And, and actually, Ortland quotes this verse there when he speaks about the compassion of Christ towards sinners and suffers us. We're translated as compassion here. It's an intense word. At its root in the ancient Greek is the meaning of, of viscera, the stomach. And the word here carries that original sense, but then adds this, this idea of, of sympathetic emotion and tender mercy. And when these two are pushed together, it means that, that Christ felt in the pit of his stomach such deep and tender compassion for these crowds, for these people. It means that he was gutted with sympathy and desirous mercy toward this crowd. It means that his, his stomach churned within him because he so felt for these people. He looked at them in their need and he didn't feel them to be a nuisance. He didn't feel them to be an inconvenience. He felt visceral compassion. Friends, you, how do you think Jesus sees you? You may think he doesn't even see you at all sometimes. He does. And when he looks at you in your sin and in your suffering, he doesn't look upon you with disgust. He doesn't see you as a nuisance. He's not growing tired of you. He looks upon you with, with compassion, with a deep and desirous mercy, with tender and potent sympathy. He's not reluctant toward you. He's not unsure about you. In fact, your need draws his heart out to you all the more. And what does that mean for us? Well, friends, in our suffering. Often our most natural inclination could be to, to view ourselves as being alone in this life. When sickness comes, when the dreaded diagnosis comes, when a loss of, of loved one comes, when treasured relationships are broken, when depression and headaches and anxiety and fear seem to overwhelm you like a flood. This means that you have somewhere, or someone rather, to whom you can run, who sees you, who will welcome you with open arms and an open heart into the sphere of his care and comfort. Our compassionate shepherd, Jesus. Or maybe it's not your suffering that tends to, to lead you to question his heart toward you. Maybe it's your sin. And maybe this goes without saying, but this crowd here, they were sinners. They were idolaters. They were people born in Adam, people who, who cheated on their taxes, people who bore false witness to their neighbors. They were adulterers and murderers and liars and thieves. They were people like us. And perhaps, you know, you think when you've blown it for the 8,000th time and again you've said the harsh words to 
your children that you shouldn't have said. Or you've looked at the images that you shouldn't have looked at. Or you've consumed the substance that you shouldn't have consumed. And you just think, well, that's got to be it. His patience has run out. He's probably done with me now. He's had to have turned his face away from me now. And you couldn't be more wrong because what we see here, because what this passage shows us is that he is a shepherd of mercy, of sympathy, of compassion. And that when we're lost and helpless and directionless and guilty, he doesn't look upon us with disgust. Instead, he looks upon you with compassion and desire and tender love and mercy. And he's holding his arms wide open to you saying, come, I would be delighted to forgive you. My heart yearns for you. And why did he feel this visceral compassion in our text? Because it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember, historically in Israel and in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, they viewed their leaders as shepherds. In fact, this very verse is hearkening back to several Old Testament texts that speak of leaders of Israel as as shepherds. Find one such place in Moses' prayer. In Numbers 27, 16, and 17. Here we, we see Moses. He sees that his time of leading Israel is coming to an end soon. And, and so he looks out upon the people of God and he knew they needed a leader to provide direction and care and protection. And so he prayed this. He said, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, Appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord answered Moses' prayer in an immediate sense by providing Joshua, whose name in Hebrew just so happens to be the same name as Jesus. In Hebrew, Jesus and Joshua are both Yeshua should tell you something. But then not only that, we we find this theme continue on in the life of David and several of the prophets like Amos. We see this especially, though, in the life of King David, who was a lowly shepherd who led a flock off the beaten paths of Israel, but whom God raised up to shepherd the entirety of his people of Israel. And even later on, when, when the prophet Ezekiel preached to the nation about their exile. He preached against what he called the, the shepherds of Israel. These shepherds in Ezekiel's day were not good shepherds like Moses and Joshua and David. Ezekiel says of these shepherds in Ezekiel 34, 2-6, listen to this. He says, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the faces of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Certainly Jesus had... He he had to have had these several verses in mind when he looked out upon this crowd of lost sheep in Israel. Undoubtedly, he did. Because even at that time, there were leaders who were supposed to be shepherds in Israel. There was Herod, as we already mentioned. 
We saw last week what kind of shepherd he was. He's no shepherd at all. He's like one of those shepherds of Ezekiel 34 that slaughters instead of serves. There are the scribes and Pharisees as well, the teachers. We'll see in just the next text that there are also similar kinds of shepherds. Jesus himself says of them in Matthew 23, 4, that they, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not uh, willing to move them with their finger. So here we have these, these lost sheep of Israel suffering under an oppressive and violent king, sitting under legalistic teaching that Jesus describes as heavy and burdensome. They're lost. They have no shepherd. And so he looks upon them with compassion. He looks upon this lost crowd with compassion. So as we consider the compassion of Jesus, we should look look not only through Christ's eyes to see how he views us in this passage, we should look through Christ's eyes to see how he views others in this passage. And it's very likely, it actually seems like it's, it's pretty much sure that the disciples were annoyed with the crowd here. And they just wanted to get some rest. They were tired. Likely Jesus was tired as well. But he's not annoyed. He's not disgusted. He's he's compassionate because this lost crowd, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And yet, how often do we look upon the lost of this world and those that we know in in our own lives and, and view them as an annoyance, an inconvenience, as frustrating, as opponents, as maybe even as inferior sometimes? Parents, how, how often when your children sin and disobey, do we, do we think of them in terms of convenience rather than compassion? Do you look at them with annoyance thinking, I have to deal with this again? How many times is that today? Or do we view them rightly? As someone in need of guidance, of care, and shepherding, and ultimately as someone in need of our good shepherd, our Savior, and thus respond with compassion. That's the right response. Christian, when you interact with that family member, or that old friend who's, who's deeply entrenched and obsessed and misled by various political thought and, and bought into conspiracy theories and, and led astray by all of these foolish sources on the news or on the internet, you write them off with, with annoyance as a lost cause? Or do you look at them through the eyes of Jesus with compassion as sheep without a shepherd? Lost and looking for answers and being led astray by these false shepherds that they've been looking to. When that coworker is wholly bought into to postmodern sexual ethics and ideals and identifies as this or that. And do you see them as an opponent on the other side of a cultural war? Or do you look at them through the eyes of Jesus with compassion as lost sheep without a shepherd? Are we looking at others through the eyes of Jesus? And, and as we do so, are we moving toward others with compassion and seeking to direct them to the true shepherd of their souls, our Savior, our Jesus? He is the shepherd who compassionately sees. So we ought to run to him as such in our own sin and suffering. We ought to continually see others through his eyes and guide others to him as the shepherd of their souls. But then he's not only the shepherd who compassionately sees He's also the shepherd who compassionately 
feeds. He feeds the crowd here, doesn't he? And now when I use that word feeds here, I, I mean it in multiple senses. Because even before he multiplies the bread and the fish in this passage, he, he feeds the crowd in a different sense. Look at the latter half of verse 34 there. It says, when he went to shore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. That was the compassion-inspired action of Jesus when he looked upon this crowd here. He taught them. The womb of his compassion gave birth to the child of teaching. Does that that surprise you? With what we've seen in Mark's gospel so far, it probably shouldn't surprise us. You know, Mark 1, Jesus said that preaching and teaching was the very reason that he came out. We've seen him. Though so far in Mark's gospel, continually go from town to town preaching and teaching and prioritizing preaching and teaching. He sent his disciples out to preach and teach. Before Christ's ascension in Matthew 28, he sends his disciples out to teach. In his church, he appoints ministers of the gospel tasked with preaching and teaching his word. Evidently, Jesus thinks it's very important. But it's interesting here that Mark connects it to Jesus' compassion for the crowd and their being like sheep without a shepherd. Perhaps it's because their teachers, who should have been shepherding them, the scribes and the Pharisees, were teaching such abysmal doctrine, heaping legalistic burdens upon them with their teaching. Perhaps that's partly why Jesus taught them here, to to correct what they had been taught, to relieve them of those legalistic burdens the the Pharisees laid upon them with the good news of His coming, His kingdom, His salvation to relieve them of their burdens with his grace-filled message. We should also say that that teaching is the appropriate response because of the nature of sheep. The Bible continually depicts God's people as sheep. It's partly due to our our helplessness and our ignorance, our our need for God's guidance and care. And this last week I came across a report from several years ago by the Associated Press about this remarkable event that took place in Aksum, Turkey in the fall of 2009. Uh, In the fall of 2009 in Aksum, Turkey, one little sheep wandered off the edge of a cliff. And of course, that wouldn't have been such a peculiar and noteworthy and newsworthy event. It happens quite often. Sheep are not bright. They don't have a good sense of direction. They often wander off cliffs. But it just so happened that another sheep followed off. And then another sheep followed, and then another one, and another one, and another one. And in the end, over 1,500 sheep followed the the first sheep off of the same cliff. And in the end, it says, the report says, in the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of each other in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher and the fall more cushioned. But these sheep, they just wandered off this cliff, many of them to their own death. Such is the result of sheep without a shepherd, and such is the result of people without their shepherd and his word to guide them and teach them and feed them. This is why we are so adamant about preaching and teaching the Bible here at Veritas. Without it, we're like sheep without a shepherd. 
We're lost without his guidance and care. I mean, think of it when bogged down with suffering and sorrow. Where do we turn? Where should we turn to find words of comfort and peace but to our shepherd and his word? When feeling lost and directionless in life, where where else could we turn for guidance and care but to our shepherd and his word? When weighed down with burdens of guilt and shame, where else could we run for words of compassion and grace and assurance but to our shepherd and his word? Imagine wandering through life without his shepherding care. We need the teaching of God's word. We need the teaching of Jesus just like this crowd here did. And then he seems to have taught them for a long time. This was a long sermon. So long, verse 35 tells us that it grew late. He preached late on into the afternoon or even the evening. Apparently, scholars think it was probably about 5 o'clock, possibly 6 by the time Jesus was finishing up. And when it grew late, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So here's where the disciples kind of come in and, and, and show something of their cards, revealing that they were indeed a bit annoyed here. After all, they came here for a retreat, for some rest, and yet they're met by thousands. And worse yet, Jesus spends all day ministering to them and teaching them. But this has gone long enough, they say, Jesus, send them away. It's time. Come on. And what does Jesus say? Verse 37, you give them something to eat. Remember, 5,000 men, possibly as many as 20,000 people. That's quite impossible, isn't it? And so they respond to Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, sometimes, sometimes you ask a question because you want to know information, and sometimes you ask a question because you want to make a point, and this is the latter kind of question. 200 denarii was eight months worth of wages. That was eight months' salary. And some scholars even say that that this is actually a conservative estimate for what the amount of bread would have actually cost. So in essence, what they're saying is Jesus is not in the funds. We can't do it. We don't have the budget for this. And he says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And all they come back with is a measly five loaves and two fish. Surely then, Jesus is going to say, this is not enough. He's going to send them all away. But he does no such thing. He's not like those shepherds rebuked in Ezekiel 34 2 who don't feed the sheep. He feeds his sheep, he gives them bread. Verses 39 and 40 he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And here we're, we're hearkening back to Ezekiel 34 again. Because there, the Lord, in the earlier part, he not only rebuked the false shepherds of Israel, but if you were to read on through Ezekiel 34, you also find that the Lord promised to come himself and to be the true shepherd of his people. Uh, Ezekiel 34, 11 says this, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verses 14 and 15 in the same chapter, he says, I will feed them 
with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord. And that's exactly what he does here, isn't it? He, he makes them lie down, recline on the green grass, and he feeds them as their good shepherd. Verse 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And there's a lot here to unpack, and we don't have the time, but this is a miracle. This is not what many modern people try to explain away here as a, a great inspiration for sharing. Lesson here is not, you know, as long as you're willing to share, there will be more than enough for everybody. Of course, sharing is good. We should be generous. But that's not the point here. The point is that Jesus is God come into the world to provide bread for us and to be bread for us. It's showing us that he's God. Think about Exodus 16. This passage is hearkening back to Exodus 16 where we find Israel in a desolate wilderness and they're hungry. And what does God do? He provides manna, bread in the desolate wilderness. Well, here Mark already told us three times that this was a desolate place. He really wants to get that across. He's trying to make a point here. He wants to draw our attention to the way in which Jesus provides bread in the wilderness, just like Yahweh provided bread in the wilderness in Exodus 16. What he's saying here is that Jesus is God come to us in the flesh. He is God who is able to miraculously provide bread in a desolate place such as this. But what's more is that he's not just God who provides bread. John Piper once said, Jesus didn't primarily come to give bread. He came to be bread. He's God come to be bread for us. Perhaps you, perhaps you saw it there in verse 41 as I was reading it. And taking the five loaves, he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Well, that's precisely what we We'll come to see him do in Mark 14, 22, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. It's the exact same four verbs. There, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, take, eat, this is my body. This is no coincidence. No, the reason the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper are present here in Mark 6 is because the broken bread is showing us something central about Jesus and what he came to do. Listen, the reason that the miracle of Mark 6 is present in each of the Gospels, seemingly underlined by the divine author himself, is because it so clearly reveals the purpose of Christ's coming. It communicates something so central about the purpose of his coming and that he came to bless and to be broken for us. His compassion for us. 
led to his action of coming to be broken for us. Our sinning and suffering drew out such compassion from him that he came for us and came to be broken as this bread was broken. He came to be the atonement for our sins, to make satisfaction for our debts, to take the penalty that we deserve because of our sin. If you've ever wondered what his heart is towards you, saint, in your suffering, even in your sin, look at the perfect expression of his heart on Mount Calvary. Look at this bread broken. Look at his body broken and stand amazed. He is utterly, unquestioningly, unequivocally for you. And not only that, but he was broken for you so that he might satisfy you. He was broken so that he might bless you with himself. He was broken so that you might be reconciled to him and have life with him forever. See, in verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. And not only that, they weren't just all satisfied. They came away with more than they had to begin with. Look at verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Well, why are those details there? To show us that Jesus satisfies us, that he is more than enough to satisfy us. He doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. As we sang earlier, he is all he said he would be. He is more than, than words can even express. He is bread that truly and eternally satisfies us. Jesus says of himself in John 6.35 on the heels of this very miracle in John's gospel, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He invites you to come to him. He invites you to believe in him, and if if you do, he says he is bread that will eternally satisfy you. You you know what it's like to be hungry and to eat and to be satisfied? Well, Jesus promises to be that for us spiritually and eternally. Friends, nobody satisfies like Jesus. The world is filled world over with people who are looking and longing, and yet they're eating the scraps of this world, that which never satisfies. Well, Jesus says, I am what you're looking for, and I've come to give myself to you. St. Augustine once said in prayer, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. We were made to live under the shepherding care of our God. We were made to be cared for by him. And Jesus has come to give us precisely what we were made for in himself because he is our shepherd. And so all who are weary, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And it's a rest much better than the one he invited the disciples to in our passage. This is an eternal rest, a rest for your soul. All who are longing for relief from your sin and suffering, come to him and be met with a heart of compassion and mercy and enter into the sphere of his care and provision. All who are lost like sheep without a shepherd, come to Jesus. He will be your shepherd. He will be your caretaker. He will be your guide and teacher. All who are hungry and longing for for satisfaction and fulfillment, 
but are continually disappointed by what this world has to offer, come to Jesus. He is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is bread from heaven for us, broken so that we might be sustained and satisfied forever. He will satisfy you. Come to Jesus, to the compassionate shepherd who sees us and feeds us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending our Savior, your Son, Jesus, who is the true shepherd of our souls, who is also the Lamb who was slain for us, who is also bread that was broken for us so that we might be satisfied. As we come to the Lord's table now, and we're reminded that Jesus came to be bread for us, we pray that you would cause us to feast upon him in our souls, to be strengthened and nourished by him, to meet with him, to be nourished by him, to be satisfied by him. I pray for those who have yet to trust in Christ and come to him here this morning that they would set out on this journey knowing that their souls are longing for him. Would you awaken that, a knowledge of that in them and set them on course to him? Pray that they would have ears to hear what's just been said and that their hearts would be softened to entrust themselves to Christ as their shepherd. Lord, we pray that as we look to Jesus now, we would see him clearly as the compassionate shepherd who sees us and invites us to come to himself. As we draw near to the table, would we draw near to Christ to rest upon him, be satisfied in him, be fulfilled in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.